style if you're conservative. It's a history book. If you're liberal, it's an allegory. Uh, the theme, God's provision for his people and compassion for nations other than Israel and Judah. Uh, if you're on the liberal side, you say nations needed to be more inclusive and willing to act with outsiders. Now that's not necessarily a bad message. Um, so I think theologically the, the liberals maybe have deemed a, a relevant message out of it. But um, why do they go to such lengths? And uh, I'll go through some of the objections that people have for the book of Jonah as being historical. Number one, uh, no fish is big enough to swallow a man. Well, that's true. No fish is big enough to swallow a man. Um, Hebrew, there is no word for whale. So they, they couldn't use the word whale to mean they meant a whale. Um, so they used fish, and they put big in front of it because it was a big fish. And they may not have actually, I don't know, I didn't read anything for or against this, but they may not have made a distinction between mammals that live in the sea and fish that live in the sea, right? They all live in the sea. They can swim. They go underwater. So they may not have made the distinction there. So to say that Jonah says, I got swallowed by a big fish, there's no fish big enough. That's just, that doesn't hold water. Pardon the pun. <laughs> You know, it's not a valid argument that, that Jonah shouldn't be believed because no fish is big enough really to swallow a man. Uh, second objection, uh, a man could not live inside a whale for three days. Well, um, I don't know that anybody's ever tried that, so we don't really know whether it would work or not. Um, there are accounts of people being swallowed by a whale and surviving, um, the, the whale, in some cases, spit them up or vomited them up pretty quickly and said, that doesn't taste good, I'm going to get rid of it. And, and they survived. There is one story that there's some controversy about it, but it's about a whaler that the whale boat, the second whale boat got upset by the fish's tail, you know, the whale's tail. And a couple of them died and one of them just disappeared. And they captured the whale and they brought it on board. They start cutting it apart. And overnight, the next morning, they were hoisting the stomach up from the insides, and they noticed something's moving in there. And they cut it open, and here's the guy. And he's real white, you know, like the acid has affected his skin. But they splashed seawater on him, and a couple of days later, he was kind of back to normal. Uh, like I said, there's some controversy there, but that's at least the possibility that that is, is a true statement. Now, it wasn't three days, but... It's still, that, that is a survivable environment for some amount of time. Whales have big stomachs. Um, you assume there's some gas in there and liquid and other things. So it, it's not uh, inconceivable that that could be a survivable thing. Um, another another um, objection. Nineveh couldn't be so big that it takes three days to walk through it. And Jonah says it, it took him three days to walk through Nineveh. And the, the, it can't be that big. And they're right. Um, I looked at a map of Ann Arbor. What, what's the farthest you can walk from one point in Ann Arbor to another point in Ann Arbor? Almost seven miles. That's the farthest you can walk. Well, how many people can walk seven miles? It takes seven, three days to walk seven miles. Not many. Well, I went to the biggest city. What's the biggest city in the world in terms of area, surface area? Say again. New York. 
New York is really long when you look at it. So from the bottom of Staten Island to the top of the Bronx is 35 miles. Good walker could do that in a day. So they're right, right? There is no city that takes three days to walk through. But that's not what it says. It said it took him three days. It not, it's not like he was just walking all the time. What was he there for? He was there to preach to him. So it's like every marketplace he came upon, every group of people he came upon, he stopped and he preached to them. And it took him three days to cover the city. That seems reasonable. So this is, again, one of these arguments that you have to make up an argument because it can't be true. Uh, the Assyrians would not have been so eager to repent. This was a powerhouse country. So why would they repent? I mean, they had everything going for them. Well, at this time there were some going-ons in Syria that were concerning to the Assyrians. A couple possibilities is um, one of the kings, Assad Nirir, uh, was king. Um, he was a believer in one god. He believed in a god called Nebu. So he was different than most of the kings before and after him who believed in multiple gods. So he already had a monotheistic. There wasn't, he didn't understand the real god, but he was already leading the country towards a belief in one God. So he may have been open to, well, now we know more about that one God. It's po that's possible. Uh, a later king, um, you know, a, a generation or two later, uh, if it happened during him, not a generation, you know, several years later, uh, Azurdan the third was king. Um, the city experienced two plagues during his reign, and a total eclipse happened during his period. You know, as, as uh, superstitious as they would have been at that time, that's likely could have put them in a, in a situation where they realized that they were being judged or gods were angry with them. So that, that could have been the other, the, the other one. And then another king, at some point, Assyria, it became kind of weak. They had weak leadership, a weak king, and they were under attack from a group to the north. And this group actually got, with their armies, within 100 miles of Nineveh. So maybe it was during that period. So there's several times in Assyria's history where you can see where they might have been open to the message that Jonah was preaching. God is mad at you because you're, you're evil, you're doing bad things, you need to repent. And if the king repents, a lot of the people are going to repent too. So once that message got to the king, the nation repented, or at least the city of Nineveh repented. So that's not implausible that a, a powerhouse nation like Assyria would have a uh, repentance, have a revival, not a revival, a repentance. God's prophet, who just had the success with Jeroboam, um, would not have been so upset when, when Nineveh repented. Okay, well, Jonah was well aware that Assyria was antagonistic towards Israel. So his hope was that Nineveh was going to get judged and destroyed. That's kind of what he wanted. And I think um, he had this mentality that it's, it's us versus them, right? They're the bad guys. God needs to judge them. We're the good guys. We're the nation that God has called. Even though we've been doing bad things, we're still the chosen nation, and, and they're bad, and God needs to judge them. He had this mental picture going in that that's what was going to happen. He didn't really have God's perspective on it. But I think the bottom line of all these is that if you have an, an a priori, which means beforehand belief 
that there's no possibility of miracles, then you need to come up with these kind of fanciful arguments to explain what, what really happened. Well, it never happened at all. And these are the reasons why, in fact, it was just an allegory written much, much, much later. And one of the books I read said it kind of nicely. It said, you can't believe anything if the a priori condition or belief is false. Anything that's derived from a false prior understanding that's wrong, you can't believe any deduction from that. And that's, that's the case here. People go into looking at this with, they've convinced themselves ahead of time, there's no possibility of miracles, so we have to explain this different ways. So uh, what do we know about Jonah himself? Um, Jonah 1.1 says he's the son of Amittai. Don't know anything about Amittai. Um, he lived in Gath Helper, um, 2 Kings 14.25. And here's, here's where Gath Helper is. It's right here. Here's the Sea of Galilee. And this is the Jordan River. Um, there's Samaria, which was the king of the northern kingdom. And then down below there would have been Judah and Jerusalem. Um, that would have been further south. Assyria is up here. So that's where Jonah was from. He's from Gath Helper. He was a contemporary of Elisha. So he lived at the same time that uh, Elisha, I keep on saying Elisha, it's really Elisha, lived after Elijah Jah had died. There's some thought that maybe he was even a disciple of Elisha. There's, there's, uh, Elisha had a, a group of people under him. He was the one that sent one of his disciples to do a prophecy, unnamed. So there's some thought that maybe Jonah was actually uh, underneath Elisha. So this is the time period that Jonah would have had to live. Uh, we know that he did a prophecy for Jeroboam. Now, he, he, he could have been born when Jeroboam was born and made that prophecy before Jeroboam started to extend his period or, or do the things that he did. Um, not necessarily. So he's not necessarily born, uh, born during Jehoash. Could have been born, born during Jeroboam. We don't know how long he lived. Um, I think he lived long enough um, to see what was going on. But he, he could have died shortly after he went to Nineveh. We, don't, we really don't know. But he could have lived long enough to see, you know, the handwriting on the wall at the end there. Uh, he prophesied that Jeroboam would be a powerful king. This is out of Kings 14, 23 through 25. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's the first Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Helper. The Lord has seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. So this was the Lord's intention was to bring some stability and peace, even though overall uh, Jeroboam was not a good king. So this is one of, when, when you read through Kings, this is one of the things that gets confusing. We start with Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, king of the southern kingdom. So you intermix these names, and you really have to pay attention to which king and which nation they're talking about. 
because they counter-reference one another in terms of how long the king of Judah lived before the king of Israel became king, and it goes back and forth like that. Um, and there, there are good books that kind of unwind that for you all. So again, here's, here's the map we looked at. Here's uh, Judah down here, and this is the extent of Jeroboam's uh, holdings. When he, when he died, they had, they had quite a lot more land than they had just prior to that. He was called by God to prophesy to Nineveh. Well, where's Nineveh? So here's, here's Jerusalem. Here's uh, Sea of Galilee. Um, Samaria's there. Here's Nineveh way over here. You may wonder why there's nothing, no towns mentioned in here. What's the deal with this big empty space? Um, that's all desert, uninhabitable desert. So if you wanted to go from Sea of Galilee to Nineveh, you couldn't walk straight across. You had to go all the way up here, come back down, unless you wanted to try and cross the desert. That's the Fertile Crescent. Yes, this is, this is the Fertile Crescent here. I don't know if they technically expended all the way down. but um, and, and this points out an interesting thing. Um, why is this such a contested land? If, if you wanted to trade with Egypt over here, right, you had to go all the way. This is pretty wide open. You had to come down this narrow path between the mountains here and the sea to get to Egypt, or you had to go by boat. So that was strategically a very important area, and you could control trade. You could get revenue from trade. That's why there's so much going on in that area in terms of nations fighting one another. It was kind of a lucrative thing as well as they, we just want to be the best. Um, so that's um, 600 miles all the way around. And um, just an interesting point I thought about when uh, Elijah was, Elijah was uh, speaking. If you walk 15 miles a day, how many days does it take to get 600 miles? 40 days. It, it's just that kind of struck me as being a little interesting. So we've, we've done the story of Jonah. We've talked about kind of the history there. And then uh, Jonah's mentioned in the New Testament once, in a couple different contexts, but mentioned once. And he's mentioned by Jesus. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, this is in Matthew, said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So did Jesus believe Jonah existed? Seems like it. Next verse. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's using Jonah as a type foreshadowing his death and resurrection. Does Jesus believe in Jonah? That's pretty amazing. The next verse is even more amazing. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh who repented are going to judge you guys right now because of the way you're reacting to me, to the something that's greater than Jonah ever was, that Jesus believed Jonah really existed, and that this actually was a real story. I think he did. One other thing, if you look at Jonah as a type of Christ, 
I found it interesting. I, I couldn't find a map that had both Nazareth and Gath Helper on the map because Gath Helper didn't exist by the time Jesus came around. But just by kind of eyeballing other maps, Nazareth is in upper Israel. It's in what used to be Israel. It's not too far from the Sea of Galilee. It's just a little bit south of where Gath Helper was. I don't know if that means anything. I just thought that was interesting. That both Jonah and Jesus came from this northern kingdom. So application. Uh, can we get any application out of this? I think there's some of Jonah in all of us. We've never been swallowed by a whale, and you know we haven't gone through that type of thing. We've never been asked to go preach to a city. But there's some of Jonah in all of us, a couple of different ways. Uh, we do not trust in God's protection or his provision. We think we know God's plans, or we think our plan is better. We often do that. We question God's plan when he reveals itself. Why did you do it that way? My way would have been better. You know, we all have that tendency to want to exercise our own will instead of allowing God to reveal his will and then going along with it. Um, and we question his actions. You know, why do you do this? It's crazy things like that. I mean, the easy way to do it is just do it. Why do you do it so circumstitiously? You know, we all wonder why God acts and works the way he does, and we question why he does that. And um, the bottom line is we don't question his motives. So the methods really don't matter, right? In fact, the methods are a way to demonstrate the power he has over the situation. And we know his motives are good motives because he loves us. Um, God's love is inclusive. It's not an us versus them. We tend to look at people in the church as us and people outside the church as them. And them deserve what they get, and we deserve what we're getting because we deserve it. We're good. And it's really not the case. It's us including them out there versus God, right? That's where the struggle is spiritually. And them is just as bad as we, we are or were without the fact that, you know, and we're still bad. We're still sinful. But we, ha we have Jesus that kind of covers for us, and they don't. So it shouldn't be viewed as a, as a battle, there are times when you need to fight and, and struggle and strive against something. Um, but, but the people are people that God loves. And they need to hear the same message and, and experience the same transformation that we've had. God is inclusive. He wants everyone to be saved. But at the same time, he's exclusive. There's only one way to be saved. But, but everyone has access to it. There's no limit to that, so... Those are kind of the quick applications that I drew out of the book of Jonah.